Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and welcome back to the Umarpreneur Podcast. I have a very special guest with me today, Sister Sobia Jawaid, who is a leadership coach, a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant, and she's a keynote speaker, but most interestingly, mashallah, she's actually the first Muslim woman wearing the hijab to have won the silver medal for the UK in the martial art of kickboxing as a black belt, mashallah. And today our conversation is going to revolve around leadership, around mindset, around how to overcome and deal with failure, how to overcome and deal with challenges in terms of goal setting and negative self-talk, and also in terms of how to actually be an effective leader that shows up in your family, in your business, in your company, for your team, the way that you want to, while also doing it in a way that is mentally positive and mentally healthy, inshallah. So without further ado, let's dive into our conversation. And the first question I want to ask you, Sister Sobia, is actually which one came first? Was it the leadership consulting? Was it the DE&I consulting? Or was it kickboxing for you? The kickboxing came first. So I started to break training as a kickboxer around the age of about 16. And I did it for about 10 years, just over a decade. And, um, and and coming from a South Asian background, the, the, and I'm, I'm sure this is the case with many other backgrounds, there is no way you can just do sports in a, in, a, in a certain heritage background. So for me, education was essential. So as well as training, I was also going through my education and I also trained as a teacher and I was in that profession for 15 years. So both oh, of wow. those were simultaneously, then came the coaching and then came the uh, consultancy. Mm, so let me ask you this. What is it that even motivated you to get into entrepreneurship and why specifically leadership coaching? Was there something in that field that called you? Sure. So coaching for me was something that personally created a huge shift within my life. I went mm. from where I'm sure many people will resonate with this, where you are living your life because certain people have said these. this is the success criteria. Mm. You know, you've got a nice house, a nice job, the nice car, you've got a family, but there's this inner fulfillment that's missing. And for me, I started my own journey and my own coaching journey. And through that, I had significant shifts. And when I realized how significant the transformation was, I then decided this is so incredible. This is my higher calling where I want to take this to other people and help them create shifts and transformations in their life. Mm. And um, so that's where the coaching came from. And in terms of leadership, I think when, when you yourself are in a space, the right people resonate with you, with your message, with where you're headed. And so for me, naturally, um, being the person I am, as my story unfolds, your the, the the listeners will be able to learn more about that. I was attracting leaders, I was attracting visionary individuals, and that's where I was working on their mindset. And so it was initially uh, intentional. I wanted to work with CEOs, managing directors, leaders, but also I was also having these people reach out to me as well. So it was organic at the beginning. SubhanAllah, that's amazing. I'm really curious for you, at what point did you feel like you could actually take this passion that you had for kickboxing um, and turn it into an actual like professional career and, and, and go and compete in a professional level? Was it something that you planned initially? And did you also face any pushback having gone through that and made that decision, whether it's from friends, family or people around you? So initially, um, I was I started my kickboxing journey when I was quite young and mm -hmm. 
at that age, in your late teens, early 20s, those people who know and have crystal clarity on their values, my hat goes off to them. At that time, I didn't have that. I just knew mm. that, you know, now that I've started kickboxing, I want to get my black belt. And when I was seeing people within my club competing, I thought, well, if they can do it, why can't I do it? So it wasn't intentional in the set, a sense of when I started my kickboxing journey that I was going to get a black belt and I was super visionary and super ambitious. But I did set goals and I wanted to achieve those goals. And this is where I speak about belonging. I was uh, one of a, a small minority of people of colour and of Muslim background and I was the only one wearing the hijab. But my kickboxing coach really created this space where any goals, anything that I wanted to do, it was not something that was off the table. It was, okay, Sobia, you want to do this? Let's make it happen. And that for me is an environment in which I thrived. So as I continue to train, I thought, okay, well, I want to compete now. I, if people in my club are going off to competitions, I'm going to compete as well. Um, and so in terms of setbacks, uh, if I'm really honest with you, I don't think my family really took it very seriously until we came back from, and when I say we, me and my sister came back from our competition with three three trophies, Mashallah. having qualified for uh, the European Championship. That's where they thought, oh my goodness, these girls have got something about them. Uh, apart from that, they just thought it's just a recreational kickboxing club that we go to. Um, and so in terms of setback, when that milestone was reached, for me, I did have setbacks and they came from the people who I least expected it from, from some of my friends who said, well, actually, as a Muslim woman, it's haram to be kickboxing. You shouldn't be doing this. Um, it's not the right thing. And for me, at that point, I really had to be. And again, going back to this, I was in my early 20s. And so it. As individuals, we can be quite influential, influenced by, especially your nearest and dearest, especially if it's your best friend or a really close friend. Um, and that's where I had another group of people who are my cheerleaders and thought, no way, do not even take on any words that these people are saying. You do this. It's an incredible opportunity. And I'm so pleased that I had those people in my life. And so to the listeners, what I'd like to say is that it's really important that you have a group of friends, but also you listen to what's right for you and you have the right, I call them your high vibe tribe mm -hmm. who really elevate you to pursue your goals. I think it's so important and you don't need tons and tons of those people. You just need one or two people. You right. can count them on your hand, your cheerleaders. And I'm so grateful that I had those people in my life. Definitely. Well, I'm grateful as well because you achieved such an amazing milestone, mashallah. And it's 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 a great milestone. Like every time I honestly, and I think like Muslims can relate to this, but every time we see a Muslim and specifically a Muslim woman wearing hijab accomplish something amazing or break a glass ceiling, like for me, I just feel happy for the Muslim Ummah in general. I feel like, yes, like that's another win for our Ummah, you know? So like, I just, I, I'm, I'm so proud to see that, mashallah. And so I, have a, I have a question for you is, for someone listening to this and specifically maybe other women listening to this who want to break a glass ceiling in their own industry, is there any advice that you can give them? And based on your personal experiences, the challenges you've went through, maybe some of the mindset shifts that you've had to make, is there any advice that you would give to other Muslim women who might be going through the same journey in their own fields and their own professions? 
one of the key things I, I coach on is values. And for me, faith and spirituality, you know, is a huge, is, is my number one value. Everything, and I try my best in my life to mark every decision of mine against that value of mine. So the key thing is these, the women, the listeners, even if it's men, whenever you are in any situation, whenever you are in at a crossroad, you've got to ask yourself, why are you doing what you're doing? Which value of yours does it align to? Is it money? Is it family? Is it faith? And the more important the value, the more drive you will have towards that. Mm -hmm. And so when your values are clear to you, you will it's not going to be easy. There's no chance that it's going to be easy because we know making concrete, substantial decisions is never easy. However, when it aligns to what's important to you and you know why you're doing it, you will continue to drive yourself in that direction. So when you hit an obstacle, it doesn't matter. So for example, in my training, when I hit it, when when I hit a, an obstacle or when I faced a setback, for me, it wasn't just, and even in my career or even in my entrepreneurship, there's a bigger reason. And one of those reasons was the fact that at that time, and even now, Muslims have a real negative um, perception out there in, in mainstream society. And actually, one of my personal drivers is that this is dawah. This is a, a way of changing perceptions. This is my duty as an individual. This is my why. Mm. And so when I face a setback, is the setback significant enough to keep me a few steps back? Or is that setback going to be something that I'm going to be resilient about and continue to move forward? So going back to it, I think it's essential to know why you're doing what you're doing and what your values are. And if it's not strong enough, you're going to give up. And that's the reality of anything that we do, whether it's in your career, whether it's in, in sport, whether it's even in family. Yeah, I, you know, when it's not strong enough, you're going to give up. I think... That statement truly is profound because even in entrepreneurship, when I look at some of the students that come and join our programs or maybe take our courses and that I work with, even on a personal level, I've noticed that when the why isn't clear enough and when it's not powerful enough, it's kind of like, think of your why as maybe like a snowball. It maybe is a metaphor I'm, I'm going to give. If the challenge that comes through is a bigger snowball than, than the size of your why, then it's going to, it's, it's going to, it's going to defeat it and, and it's going to, it's going to get crushed and it's just, you're not going to move forward anymore. But if your why is this huge snowball, almost like this mountain, then it, anything that it's faced with, you know, is going to crumble before it. Um, maybe not the best metaphor, but it's a visual representation of depending on how big your why is for you, that's going to dictate the amount of hurdles and specifically the size of the hurdles that you're able to overcome. Would you agree? Absolutely. And here's the thing. Your why doesn't have to be this amazing, incredible statement mm. your why is what what why do you do what you're doing yeah. and often for many people that are from my faith background for me you know this this podcast I'm assuming is mainly Muslims yes of why we do what we do is because we know there's going to be we're going to be answerable for our actions in the hereafter on one day we're going to be facing our lord on one day we're going to be asked about our actions and what is your what is your why your why is not your money your why is not your career your why is essentially how are we going to please our lord so we get into genital for adults that is our why that's the main driver and that can come in so many different ways for me 
I'm, I'm so grateful that after almost 15 years of my career, I was able to connect powerfully to that why, but it was a journey. And so the people who are listening out there, I think we hear about this. Simon Sinek talks about your why and, you know, we talk about the vision. Essentially, I think we're so, so blessed within our faith that we know there's a life after this life in the hereafter. We know what our ultimate goal is. How we go about that, as long as it's halal, is something that's entirely up to you. You can be an artist and be creating incredible artwork. And if it's aligned with your why and you're changing the world because of it, incredible. It doesn't have to be a fixed shape or size, but the the driver behind it is almost that blueprint has been given to us. Definitely. SubhanAllah. I completely agree. And I think once we tap into that and we recognize how we can use that to fuel our endeavors, whether they're professional or personal, that's when we truly start to tap into our superpower. One question sure. that I have for you, Sabia, is I wanted to ask you, and this might be like a bit of a more vulnerable question. I don't know if you are going to reveal it to me or not, but now that you're in this stage where you're, I guess you're focusing a little bit more on the entrepreneurship side at this point in your life, the leadership coaching, the consulting is there a certain milestone that you're now trying to go for? Is there a certain mountain that you're trying to climb? What's the next mountain for you? Goal-based outcomes are, I think, as leaders, we're very, and, and anybody who's got a business, you can have goals that are outcome-driven. And here's the thing, when, you, when you've when reached that goal or you've reached that milestone, it becomes the norm for you. And then it's the next big milestone. Ultimately, and I, and I think we touched upon this at the beginning of this podcast is this concept of excellence. Mm -hmm. We don't know, and I, and I know this is going, I can be really vulnerable because the audience mainly is Muslim, so they'll resonate with this, is that we don't know how long we're gonna live. Whether we're professionals, whether we're parents, whether we're individuals, single, whatever role you've got, we don't know how long we're gonna live. Those goals may just stay by the wayside, whether we're entrepreneurs, as I said, doesn't matter what role you're in. But this element of excellence, knowing that when you're, and this does, is really not morbid, but it's something that drives me is when you're six feet under the ground and your life is over, have you done the best given your resources? Your best is not always perfect. You're not always going to have all the money. You're not going to have always be motivated. You're not always going to reach your goals. But have you done your best given your resources? And that is a question I ask myself all the time and more so recently. Um, because when you lose people who you weren't expecting to lose, um, who are young, you know, fit the criteria of, okay, they're going to have a long life and they've gone. It, it's a real reminder and we can take lessons from that so going back to your question um my ultimate goal genuinely abby is that i want to know that i've done my best to serve people whether that's my family my daughter my husband my community my my coaching clients have i done my best given my resources mm -hmm. and i know if i've got 10 years my resources are going to be increasing and they're going to be more vast um because when we go, when we're all, when we're goal um, orientated, it does drive us. But that satisfaction, I, I don't think is always there because it's the next goal, it's the next best thing. Mm, definitely, and you know, it's inter it's interesting you say that. Just the last part about the being the next best thing. 
I mean, I'm someone who constantly is, is very much outcome focused and goal focused as well. And I think all entrepreneurs have this drive innate within them, right? That they just want to keep, you know, climbing mountains and seeing how big yeah. the next mountain is they can climb. Right. And that actually ties into my next question, which I'm very curious to ask you, which is, I mean, being a leader myself now for, for a few years in terms of having a team and, you know, having employees that rely on me and especially having my own company where I have to not only lead the team, but as well have them believe in the vision and the mission of the company and what we're trying to do. There are times where myself as a personal individual, this constant chase of, you know, trying to climb bigger and bigger mountains sometimes ends up reflecting in my personal mental health and I end up going through burnout and it's happened many times before. And in those moments, it's really hard for me to kind of remain the positive kind of supportive, like, yes, like let's go team kind of like that leader that I want to be, that's going to like motivate them and uplift them. Not in the sense that I just turn around and start being like a terrible leader, but as in like, I don't have that. It's hard for me to transmit that belief and that confidence and that positivity when I'm not feeling it myself on a personal level. And I feel like leaders have this, this really big burden, subhanAllah, where you, you not only have to manage yourself, but recognizing that managing yourself actually impacts the entire team. And, and, and most importantly, if you're a CEO, the entire company. So I know it's a really loaded question and I don't know if it, if it really is a question, but for you specifically listening to this, I mean, is there any way that you found or any approach that you found to avoid going through those kind of phases of burnout where you're not able to support your team the way that you want and be the leader that you want and show up the way that you want? Is there any advice for that? Yeah. And I think there's this concept I, I truly believe in slow down to speed up. And, and, and I think to, uh, firstly, as you say that to me, uh, what I'm hearing, this is like the coaching me with my deep listening is your, your, ex there, there's certain expectations that are there. Mm -hmm. And one of the expectations, which I, I do think is an idealistic, not yourself here, mm -hmm. Abby, but just generally is this idealistic expectation that we're going to be like this Tony Robbins kind of figure, highly motivated, extroverted, always out there inspiring people. We're human beings, right? We have a human existence. We have good times. We have bad times. We have ease and hardship, right? And this is given to us. We, we're told this. But this expectation that we should all, and I and I know this, this is an assumption I hear um, throughout. And often it's one of the reasons why people are so hard on themselves is because there's this expectation that I should be highly motivated, highly focused, highly goal orientated. And when I don't, I'm a failure. And here's the thing, we're humans. Every single one of us, whether you're a leader or not, we have good days. And we have bad days. And what I say is on those bad days, quote unquote bad days, where you're tired or you're not motivated or you're feeling upset is welcome those emotions. But here's the thing. You don't need to dwell in them for two weeks, right? You you you, you feel them, you embrace them, you accept them. And then it's as, as leaders, we have tools and toolkits which we apply. And that's about mindset. It's about goal setting. It's about knowing what your strategy is have a one or two down days, get back on the bandwagon. Mm -hmm. And that authenticity, if you are able to share it with your team, I genuinely believe it creates connection. People will know, okay, well, Sophie's having a bad day, just let her be. And, you know, we'll get back onto the bandwagon in two days or three days. And, and then you can hold that space for other people as well. 
Uh, something I also wanted to add, Abby, is that you asked me about goal setting and the next best thing um, earlier on. I don't want anybody to be under a false pretense that I don't do any strategy or I don't have goals. I have huge goals and I'm always being held accountable by my, my colleagues. But going back to the real underlying reason is that excellence. I just wanted to clarify that, Abby. Yeah, definitely. No, definitely. And, and I appreciate you sharing that. Let me ask you another question. And this one being a bit more vulnerable as well, since I, I would like, I like to go deep with my guests. What can I say? Have you ever been through a phase in your life where you felt like a failure? And, and, and if so, has like, what have you done to get out of that headspace? Yeah, I, I, I love the question. And I would be sat here completely lying if I said, I never feel like a failure. And here's the thing, if you are a high achiever, if you've got high goals, and you want to be creating impact, there are times where you do feel like a failure. And here's the thing, what I would say to those who are listening, and even myself, is that I have a toolkit. And that has developed over years. At first, when I felt like a failure, I used to want to just give up on the path that I'm on. Um, and as time's progressed, and as I've been able to change my own mindset, as well as have my high vibe tribe who are my cheerleaders, who you know hold me accountable. Um, the moments when I catch myself, ask, well, saying to myself, this negative self-talk. Yeah, negative self-talk, correct. You're not good enough. Who the hell do you think you are doing all this? And what change are you creating? That, that you know, we call it waswasa. The negative waswasa is yeah. there. That whispering is there. Yeah. It's across the whole of humanity, right? But what do you do? You nip it in the bud, right? And one of the strategies I use is three things that I've done that I didn't do yesterday. Or what progress have I made in the last week that I didn't make in the, in, you know, in the past? Um and this is the thing, not just as an entrepreneur, not just as a, a leader, but I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I hold my, my family very, very dear to me. So it can be something I've done with my daughter, it can be something that I've done in terms of my fitness. What have I done today or in the last week that I wasn't doing before? What progress have I made? So logically thinking and consciously being aware of the progress is a great way for you to, you know, that, that, the idea of being a failure and is is a great way for you to consciously then recognize the evidence mm -hmm. as a leader how do you deal with self-doubt when it comes to decision making knowing that your decisions impact your entire team and the company you know there are moments where sometimes you might make a decision and then you might look back and, and start to doubt yourself have i made the right decision right and and this is impacting other people around me and and, and that doubt not only impacts yourself but the people around you how do you how do you like deal with that as a leader I'm quite analytical. So I, those who are analytical will always need some time to reflect, but they'll always go back to think, was that the right thing or, or mm -hmm. not? Mm -hmm. I go back to this excellence piece is that, have you done your best given your resources? In 24 hours, Abby, you won't be the same person as you are today. There'll be something you've learned. There's something in the audience, the, the people who are listening to this podcast, they would have learned something which has, it, it resulted in them not being the same person they were 24 hours, even an hour beforehand. And the resources you had before are different to what you have today. So I always go to this excellence piece is have you done your best given your resources? And don't hold yourself ransom to that. We're human beings. We make mistakes. We're, we, we, yeah. And you've got to, you've got to 
as business owners, you've got to account for that. Yeah. Um, and I think it gives you that permission to say, okay, well, maybe I didn't make the right decision, but I'm going to go back and I'm going to make it better because that's what leadership is also about. Mm-hmm. But at that time, I did my best given my resources. And it's this self, it comes into self-compassion as well, because as leaders, as entrepreneurs, sometimes you can be your own harshest critic. Correct. Right? So this self-compassion, the excellence piece, the the, the going back and ma- making things better, it's all okay. Who said what you did yesterday is written in stone? Who said that? It's just you and your mindset and your own thoughts that are saying that. Nobody else holds you to ransom. And if they do, that's their problem. Mm-hmm. You've, you've got to evolve. Otherwise, you're going to go down this downward spiral. Yeah, I think negative self-talk is probably like the biggest killer of so many entrepreneurs and so many goal seekers and, and just individuals. And I fall into the trap myself. So I'm asking you these questions selfishly because I'm just curious. I'm I'm taking yeah, you're getting I'm, a coaching session. I, I'm hundred percent right? <laughs> using this as a coaching session. I'm not gonna lie about that. But yeah, I'm. I definitely feel like that's one of the biggest killer for for most. Is just it's actually not what what happens outside of us. It's the internal narrative that we have about what happens outside of us. And for many of us, especially high performers, we are so self critical because to be a high performer. We think, and I have thought for the majority of my life, that the source of my high performance is my inner self-critic. And because I'm so harsh on myself, this is what actually leads to high performance. And I've had this thought for the longest time, which I've realized is that I have almost this fear of being self-compassionate because I feel like if I'm self-compassionate, it's going to end up with me being lazy or end up with yeah, me that's be- not yeah. true. It, it, everything is a balance, right? If you were going to be self-compassionate and said, I'm going to have five years off, right? I would say, what's your strategy? Like what's going to be funding your way? Mm-hmm. Everything is in a balance, right? That's what Islam is, is the middle way. And so I always go back to this, that when when I hear it in self-development, this concept, which I've already heard about in my faith, it just reinforces how beautiful and how I'm, and I say I'm, and you know, people who are part of the faith is how beautiful we the faith is and how aligned it is and how true it is. And so, so many of the self-development concepts actually align with what our deen teaches us. And so going back to self-compassion, yes, it's important. It's a superpower, but when it's re- used in the right way, mm-hmm. uh, and mindset. This is the thing: being in self-development and having my own coaches and having my own quote-unquote high-vibe tribe. We have very honest, transparent, and vulnerable conversations because that's where your mindset can transform. So, and I'm 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 making an assumption here, Abby, that you also have certain people who are part of your own team. Mm-hmm. Not everybody has that. So when you're by yourself and you're not into self-development or you don't have a coach, you think you're the only one who's going through this. You're the only one who's having these negative thoughts and you're the only one who's such a failure. But it's not true because this is ha- this happens with everybody. We all have negative ways of thinking. But the key thing is, what are you going to do about it? What what strategies, what tools, what support have you got in place? Or can you source that's going to help you to change that? Because we all suffer from it. Mm, oh, my God. I need to. Uh, 
This podcast should have been all this time, right? <laughs> yeah, like someone pause, please. I need to like take a minute and go like just digest this. This is so good. Thank you so much for sharing that. All right, I mean, I, I'm I'm gonna squeeze in a few more questions. I know we're tight on time, but I'm gonna try to squeeze in just a few, inshallah. So let me ask you this. Because a lot of people think high performance means how much can I fit into a day and like, let me have the perfect morning routine and the morning routine consists of like meditation and working out and X, Y, Z and all these things. And then I start my day and then I, I do the Pomodoro technique and I stand up and I do a hundred steps and you know, people think like high performance is how much can I fit in? Um, and, and I want to ask you because you are an individual that I'm sure many people look up to you as a high performer, mashallah, with what you've accomplished. So what can you can you share a little bit behind the scenes of not what people see on social media, because what people see on social media is like the highlights and like the things we're doing, but what people see that don't see, like, what does your day actually look like? Right. And do you ever take any breaks for yourself? And, and have you found like a rhythm that works for you? So I am going to share vulnerably my day. And here's the thing I've mentioned that I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm on an entrepreneur. For me, it's my, people may see from social media that, my business is my heart and soul, and it is, but I, I hold myself, um, well, not hold myself, but actually one of the key things is, and I think this is, I really want to emphasize this because I think in wider society, and I will go back to your question, is that people think leadership is about having a business and having the cash flow and having a big team. Leadership is about influencing people. And as, and I think the most beautiful absolutely most beautiful way we can be leaders is by and i'm going to use the use the role of a mother not everyone's going to be a mother whether you're a father you are shaping the next generation and that is a and not just that but as muslims we are going to be held accountable for how our children um turn out because we're responsible for them so parenthood is, I think, a, a huge leadership role, which many people overlook and think, OK, well, it's my job, it's my career. If you are a parent, you are a leader by default. And, and it's important to be in environments where you're able to be a good parent. I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't always naturally come to people. So going back to my routine it's the school drop-off. And once the school drop-off has taken place for my daughter, it's about me having a small amount of time in nature. For me, having that that transition and those who are parents will resonate with this. Or if you've got commitments where you're looking after people, but this time where I can transition into my own space where I, I'm now going into my, my business, it's a different role, it's a different hat. Um, and then I go into I, I've got my tasks of the day. So my day generally starts at about 930 in the morning and it goes on till the end of the school day. So for me, it's about 315. Any meetings, any content creation, any any business related work takes place in that time. And then it's pick up, it's feeding um, the family, it's madrasa run. Yeah. And then in the evening, I for me, health and fitness is really important not for weight loss not for any other reason but for me personally it's about it makes me feel good so that's something I do in the week uh depending on what days it is and then it's it's supper time and it's you've got your prayers in the day as well and by that time I am just ready to hit the sack because (laughs) so full on um and in in the day if I'm able to make a phone call to my my siblings or my parents I try and do that um, and on weekends is family only. Only by exception do I take meetings or work commitments outside of school hours. 
holidays and um, weekends. Mm -hmm. um, they are exceptions rather than the rule. And for me, that's taken a, a while to get to that place because going back to those values, what's more important and boundaries are also really important to be able to create that. Um, it is a journey. And, and I always say you, you can, if you really want to make a success out of something, you can with the right time management, with the right boundaries, with knowing what your priorities are, it's completely possible. Is this day every day? No. Sometimes I have a really bad day where I can't be focusing my business, where I'm not the best mom, I'm not the best, you know, in my personal life. But when those days happen, that self-compassion is is there because I've learned that that is my my real strength in those moments. It's not complacency. It's it's there to to allow me to just slow down to mm -hmm. then speed up. Yeah, definitely. I think recognizing that is super important. I mean, how do you deal with a nagging feeling at 3.15 once you're clocking out and you look at your to-do list and you're like, oh, I only got halfway halfway through, you know? And how do you deal with the, or overcome the urge of like not wanting to work overtime, which for me, like I, I succumb to every single day. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll be lying if I don't, if I, if I, I, I the, the itinerary I gave you is a great day. Yeah. When I've got, I mean, I, because that's consultants in, for instance, in my consultancy, sometimes clients want a quick turnaround. They want, they want documents or they want, a, they want something from me the next day. I recognize that I cannot, I cannot, this is just me personally, mm. be in my business mind and be a mom at the same time. It's just like a disaster for me, right? So I have to find pockets of time, maybe when she's at madrasa or she's at an outside um, extracurricular activity where I have half an hour, an hour to be able to focus and get something done. That is an exception um, because I know it doesn't work well for me. I'm not I, it just doesn't. So you've got to figure out what works well for you. Yeah. But here's the thing. You weren't made to work. This is the thing, right? You weren't, you're a human being that you've got mind, body, heart, and soul. So you're not made to work. You are meant to rest. You are meant to take time off. You are meant to have some time to feed your soul. We have that in prayer. Feed your soul in terms of being out in nature. Nurture your soul, it, having the right, sorry, your body, having having the right food and drink, but also resting as well. So, you know, I, I do think people want it overnight, but it's taken years for me to get here and I've still got so much to improve on. Definitely. Is there, to wrap up this, this amazing episode, is there a question that I didn't ask you uh, or something that you wish I did or like something that you want to share that you feel like we didn't get the chance to touch upon? for our audience yeah I, I I'm often asked about what helped me to transition from from teaching into entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and people may assume that it's like this light bulb moment but actually it goes back to a really challenging time and why I want to share this with with the listeners is that when we talk about values and I I want to say this authentically especially spirituality and faith I was fortunate that I was in circles of knowledge in my early years, but this is a, a huge shift where you go from having all the knowledge, like the subject knowledge, and it's information, and we use this concept in coaching as well, information doesn't lead to transformation. It doesn't create that significant change in your life. What does is when you action that and sometimes you may be in situations where you've got to really 
go through that experiential uh, situation and it really helps you to embed that knowledge and for me it was a, a really difficult time in my life where I had to reassess my goals and that's where I thought okay well you know Allah's put me in this situation what am I going to do with my life because I don't know how long it's going to be and that led to my transformation so I I think it's really easy for people to think transformations occur when things are amazing things are good but a transformation is really you restructuring your whole belief system It's going to be a process. So if you are going through a hardship at this moment in time, if you're going through a struggle, I just really want people to know that before you reach out to anybody. And I don't want this to sound like it's just um, an idealistic thing, but Allah is closer to you than your jugular vein. Mm -hmm. And. He is taking care of you more than anybody else can take care of you. Even if it's a difficult situation, you've got to trust the process, but also recognize that your life is finite. What are you going to do with your life? Because you don't have to be an entrepreneur in your own way. You can create this. I call about, I call it a ripple effect. You can create a small action and that small action can send ripples in so many different ways. What is that for you? And just remember that Allah is right by your side. Asante, mashallah. That was, that was so beautiful, mashallah. Sister Sabia, how can someone connect with you if they want to work with you, if they want to uh, potentially get some of your coaching? Where should we tell them to go? So you'll be sharing my social media links. Sure. Uh, I'm happy. Um, Definitely. Especially on LinkedIn, I'm quite active. Well, I'm, that's my main platform where I'm active. Uh, send me a message and I'll have a conversation with you. Amazing. All right. So we'll make sure to drop the social media links and LinkedIn in the episode notes. If you're listening, check the episode notes. And if you're watching on YouTube, check the description below the video. So we had like for this conversation. It was an absolute pleasure. I wish it was longer, to be honest with you. But, you know, maybe hopefully we'll, that's a good excuse to bring you back on for another one. Inshallah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for, you know, generously giving us your time and sharing with us so many valuable golden nuggets today. Thank you. Thank you.